How much do you procrastinate? Are you big into procrastination? I'll get to it. I'll finish that. Oh, big plans. Paint the house. For sure. Weed the entire garden. Absolutely. I will definitely do that someday. Just not right now. Just saw the greatest explanation as to why people procrastinate comes from Tim Herrera in the New York Times. And it's one of those things, like most things, that is really simplistic and you think, I could have come up with that, but you didn't. Tim Herrera calls himself a procrastinator. And he says, here's the explanation. He blames our own brain. But wait a minute, it's not your fault. It's not your brain. It's just the collective human brain. When the brain looks at a big task, one that you tend to procrastinate, what the brain will do is say, that's a big thing I have to do. Yeah. It's pretty big. And then it will immediately look around. And if there are other littler tasks to do, Tim kind of suggests some. Um, Fill out documents to renew a passport. Clip a cat's nails. Go buy some household items. Respond to a few Instagram DMs. Get a snack. And admits before the great big thing he had to do, he did each and every one of those. Because the brain is saying, you know, that big task is going to take a long time to complete. And it won't feel good until it's done. But all these other things are really easy to do. And they'll feel good as soon as I finish them. So let's do them. And you leave the big thing until it absolutely has to be done. See, it's not rocket science, but it makes a whole lot of sense. What are you putting off right now? Hopefully nothing. But if somebody says, hey, you're just procrastinating, you say, it's not my fault. It was my brain. It's it's my brain. It's my brain's fault. We are not going to procrastinate even a bit on this show. We have too much to do. Joe Preston is running for mayor of St. Thomas. In an hour from now, he's going to join us on the show, and we'll talk about that because something very interesting is happening. You've got Ed Holder, who has entered or will enter. Yes, I can't say has entered. There is still a news conference and an official announcement to come on Thursday at 1130. But as he enters... He is somebody who has been part of the PCs for a long, long time. You have Joe Preston, same sort of background. Both are very experienced politicians, now running for different municipal mayor jobs in cities that aren't too far apart. So what kind of, and everybody in the business world loves this word, what kind of synergies could they possibly come up with? And that's going to be interesting should these two actually be successful in their mayoral campaigns. But interesting to see two very veteran politicians taking a run at these two spots. So we'll talk with Joe about that and more. We are also going to get an update on the six-year-old McDonald's cheeseburger. Remember this from last week? Dave Alexander has his daughter in London and says, you know what, I've always wanted to try something. I've heard that a McDonald's cheeseburger ages very, very well, kind of like a fine wine. I want to see if that happens. So six years ago, he says to his daughter, hey, can you pick me up a McDonald's cheeseburger? He lives on a farm outside the city. And she says, sure. And he says, now wait, don't go getting the delicious ketchup and onion 
mixture on there. I, I don't want that. That makes a cheeseburger. Don't get that. Don't get anything on it, just the cheese, the bun, and the patty. That's all. And he took that burger and he put it up on a shelf. And he left it there for six years. And had he not downsized, sold the farm, he probably would still have that on the shelf and it would still be aging. But he didn't want to take it with him, so he took a picture of it, put it on eBay, said, anybody want this? And bids started to come in, and not only national attention, but worldwide attention greeted him. Well, there's been some developments in that story. We'll bring those to you next hour as well. We're going to talk with Professor Adam Sobel. He's from Columbia University and is somebody who looks at extreme weather. We haven't had a thunderstorm in at least a couple of days, but we've had some pretty intense ones already this summer. And one of the suggestions now that we get into hurricane season is that the intensity of hurricanes will get worse. Uh, I don't know about you. I hope not. I hope not. Some of them, Katrina, have done enough damage. He says Category 6 is going to need to be a thing. So we'll talk with him. We'll meet a Londoner who is going to be racing during the Toronto Indy weekend this weekend, Pete Shepard III. And we are also going to talk about something you may want to do. The Ontario Summer Games is coming early next month. And one person in this area is going to have all of the participants of one of the events over to his place. You may want to do that. Well, what's a few hundred people and their parents and friends and family. Just have them over. Hot dogs on the barbecue. Actually, no. He has a quarry in his backyard. And that's where they are going to hold the swimming portion of the triathlon. So we'll talk to Mike Radcliffe about his quarry later on this hour. But up next, we're going to be talking about the value of any property that you might own. Doesn't have to have a quarry on it. Could be a condo somewhere. Could be a two-story house. Doesn't matter what it is. Because Royal LePage has come out with a house price survey. And I don't know if you've bothered to check recently, but the value of homes, they're big time rising in London. And so we're going to get an update as to just how high the value has gone. How much could your house be worth? Oh, and I also have an update even before we talk about that, about the blue bin. And again, thank you for all the suggestions yesterday. You can reach me at any time, mike at 980cfpl.ca. And unless your email starts out with, hi, sir, I have money to move and I need your help and you're going to get rich, I tend to open every email and try and get back to you. So thank you for all of the suggestions that you sent by email and certainly on Twitter as well. You can find me at Stubbs980 regarding throwing out a recycling bin. We have this blue bin. It's not an official recycling bin, but we haven't been able to throw it out. Harold had a great uh, suggestion yesterday that it may be made of plastic that is non-recyclable. I'm experimenting with that right now. I'm testing it out because I also took Sean's suggestion and I went home, and the thing is cracked, and I thought, just how bad of shape is this thing in? So I kicked it, and it split apart. And I thought, that's good. So I kicked it again, and it splintered again. So I kind of broke it up into a whole lot of pieces, stuffed it into another recycling bin. The lid is kind of hanging out the top, and I'm hoping, thumbs up, hoping that it gets taken away. 
If it doesn't, Harold, I think you're onto it. It's non-recyclable plastic. But either tomorrow or Thursday, we're going to be talking with Jay Stanford from the City of London, and we'll kind of sort out what is recyclable plastic and what isn't, because there are rules. Rose emailed and said she's been trying to throw out a laundry basket for a while, or recycle a laundry basket. Not happening. So that could be the thing. So we'll get to the bottom as to what is recyclable material and what isn't in the next couple of days. We will talk value of any property that you own coming up next because Royal LePage has put out a house price survey and Peter Meyer from Royal LePage will join us. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Oh, and before we get into how much money your property may be worth and what to do if you don't own a property, I think it's pretty simple. Find a way to get in now. Hasn't that been the key to real estate forever? Man. If you bought a house for $10,000 in the late 60s, early 70s, whew, that's a good investment. But a couple of other things. We have ourselves a an update on the Thai soccer team. And so far, very good news. All 12 boys and their soccer coach have now been rescued from the cave. And the only thing they have to make sure is that nobody is suffering from cave disease. That sounds like a joke, but it's not. And cave disease, not something that you want, involves a lot of pain. There's bleeding at times. You don't want this thing. So they quarantine them for a day or two, and they just make sure everything's okay. And then we do have the first World Cup soccer semifinal today. I don't know where we go. Soccer is one of those things that unless you're a massive soccer fan and you understand absolutely everything about the game, it's difficult to watch all by yourself. It's much better if you watch it with people. And I'm not sure where to go. I think the German-Canadian club is having people over for the semis and the third place match and the final. But we don't necessarily have a Belgian headquarters in London, do we? And I don't think we have a French headquarters in London. You know, if you have Germany in, you have you have a place to go. If you have, well, we had Colombia, which had a headquarters. England tends to have a headquarters. Where do we go? Where do people go to watch soccer today so that you can just yell and scream and have a good time? Because, again, watching soccer all by yourself sometimes isn't as fun as watching it with at least 50 other people. So if you have any ideas, any suggestions, please email those along. Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Let's break into hopefully what is some good news for you. If you are a property owner of any kind in London, Royal LePage has put out a house price survey. They released it today, and they've got some numbers to share with us. And here to share those numbers is Peter Meyer, who is a broker and manager with Royal LePage in London. Peter, how are you? Doing fantastic, Mike. How about yourself? Not bad. We've seen a bump in this area in terms of things like aggregate prices of homes and median prices of homes. Takes us back to math class to figure out how to come up with all this stuff. But when you look at the real estate market, what do you feel you've seen most in the last, say, six months to a year? Well, we're we're experiencing just a very good uh, marketplace in in the London marketplace. Uh, we have, um, you know, it's still a low inventory, and we have uh, still a very good demand for buying houses in London. So, 
uh, as we see that, you know, maybe some reports coming from the local real estate association that the unit sales are down, uh, prices are still going up because there's uh, still more demand for the product that is out there than we have supply. Mark Twain still has the best line, invest in real estate. They're not making any more of it. A lot of people like to make money off their real estate purchases. What have we seen in terms of the rise in, let's say, aggregate prices? Uh, prices in the last year are still up. Um, you know, from our RelaPage report, you see that prices are up typically about 12%. Um, on the, the average home over the last year. And, and in 2017, we were in a peak marketplace. Uh, so it's uh, we're, we're, prices in the London marketplace are still increasing, um, you know, at a, at a good rate. Uh, if you're a homeowner, that's, that's, you know, perhaps good news because for most homeowners, the equity that they're looking to, uh, to retire with is in their home. And uh, if that's increasing, then that's that's good news for them. For first-time buyers or new buyers or any buyer, for that matter, uh, then it might be a bit of a concern because prices are still going up. And uh, are you able to get in or get into the type of home you want to get into uh, as prices are increasing? Peter Meyer with us from Royal LePage. As we look at the Royal LePage house price survey, giving an idea for anyone who does own a home or a property, exactly what is happening. Now, in Toronto, we always hear the stories of people able to sell their houses and do just that and retire. Some of them, by some of the numbers, have come this way and have actually come to London to do that. In London, are, are we seeing that kind of an opportunity based on some of the house prices? Oh, most definitely. I mean, London's a uh, very affordable uh, place to live. Uh, so there, there are certainly people who are in uh, more expensive areas that are selling their houses and, and moving back to London. Perhaps they, they grew up in London and uh, are now taking the opportunity to move, move back into the London marketplace. Uh, however, we saw a real peak of interest in that last, uh, last year. That has uh, waned some bit since last year. Uh, but there certainly is still that type of activity happening. As far as median price goes, there's average price. What are we seeing for, say, a bungalow in London? Uh, bungalow in London right now, median is about 320. I think it's shy of 320. Uh, but it's, you know, at 320 for a bungalow, it's still a fairly affordable uh, property uh, when you look at other options uh, in the Ontario marketplace. And then I guess if we move on to a two-story home, what are you seeing there in terms of numbers, in terms of average? Yeah, the average has just uh, crept over the uh, $400,000 mark, so it's, uh, I think it's around 404000 Uh And, you know, that's, that's a, a, a good price for a good quality home. And uh, it's still a very good price from an affordability standpoint in comparison to many markets in the, uh, in the Ontario area. Peter, do you do a lot of comparison of London versus other markets across the country? Uh, we do. We have a look at that. Um, and just from an affordability standpoint and, and seeing what we have here. Uh, but the, you know, the, the, the key for London right now is, you know, we got great employment growth. Uh, in many cities across the, the country, they've seen a, a big slowdown. In fact, uh, prices uh, really slowing in the increase of prices. Activity is waning quite a bit, uh, but in the marketplace in London, we're still seeing that prices are increasing, and it's really uh, supply and demand, 
and uh, the prices are still kind of creeping up. Slowing in the increase, which is a good thing, um, but they are still moving in, in a good direction. So, Peter, for anybody who owns property, it, it's always great news. You referred to first-time homebuyers not too long ago. What advice do you give to people in that situation who are trying to get into a market where prices are increasing? Get in now. Um, tomorrow we'll probably see uh, the Bank of Canada rate uh, increase. Uh, I'm expecting that to happen. I may be wrong, um, but uh, I only see, uh, you know, in our future economy that uh, interest rates are probably going to start moving upward. Uh, Prices are still going to be moving upward. If you're looking at buying or selling, uh, now's the time to do it. Um, And it's, you know, prices are likely only going to continue to increase over the next couple of years. We might see a bit of a slowdown in the amount of that increase, but uh, we're still going to see a a positive marketplace for sure in the London marketplace. So, Peter, thanks for the time. My pleasure, Mike. You have yourself a fantastic day. You too. Peter Meyer, broker and manager, Royal LePage, London on home prices in the area. Doesn't real estate astound you? It always astounds me. You know, if you think about what you may have paid for a house years ago versus what it's worth now, to look out to Vancouver and say, yeah, a three-bedroom bungalow, $1.2 million. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean... How do you possibly do it to look at people who are in their late teens, early 20s, late 20s right now, buying a house, does it ever become like you, you look at Europe, look what they do in parts of England, parts, a lot of parts of Europe. If you own property in a place that is legitimately full, then you wind up passing that down through generations. You bequeath your house to someone in your will. And they're not going to turn around and sell it because then they have to go and buy another place. But it's crazy to think that we may be headed there. The strange thing about where we are right now in southwestern Ontario, there is still so much room. If you compare what we've got here, so one of the numbers that Peter had said is, let's take the price of a bungalow. So it jumped 13% in London, to just under 320000 If you look nationally, a bungalow is worth, median price, average price, over $500,000. And if you look at a two-story home, that's worth over $700,000, whereas in this area, we're at just over four. So there's still so much room, but you have to think, as everybody's waiting for, that there is a bubble somewhere there. Eventually, somebody has to scratch their head and say, this is not worth $1.3 million for this one-floor, three-bedroom house. There's no way. I'm not paying that. You know, if you walk in looking for, what, a a coffee. Let's say you walk in looking for a coffee, and somebody says, yes, this coffee is $12. Well, unless they tell you that the beans that made that coffee were ingested by a meerkat and something is going to give you a nice caffeinated high for six days, you're probably going to say, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else for my coffee. And unless you're having an espresso flat latte with half-calf cream and no milk on the side, whatever those crazy orders are, 
you're not going to be willing to pay that much for it. I still don't get and well I guess I do. You've had a lot of international investment in places like Vancouver. That's driven it up in Toronto and Vancouver. They're not making any more real estate like Mark Twain pointed out, so you wind up having those prices, but I don't know. The the bubble in it all doesn't seem to want to burst. So as Peter says, if you're not in the market and you're looking to get into the market, tomorrow's a good day. We have news coming up with Jacqueline LaBelle and then we're going to meet a man who is going to have a triathlon start in his backyard. Who wouldn't want that? Mike Radcliffe is his name. He comes up very soon, about 10 minutes from now. This is London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. You've probably heard by now, I know Craig Needles was talking about this earlier, that $100 million in a fund that was for school repairs across the province, gone. That's not going to happen. The PCs have decided to make cuts here, there, and all over. But watch this one, because we've spoken with a few people in recent weeks and months about the condition of some schools and the idea that you've got drips from the ceiling, you have things that just have not been kept up, which is unfortunate. It really is. But when you look at the fact that there's, what, a reported $15.9 billion repair backlog for schools around the province, that just keeps building. They've been cutting. This is like infrastructure. This is like pipes under streets. It's no different. Well, is the building still standing? Uh Uh-huh. It's just not doing very well on the inside. There's, There's a drip on little Susie's desk in the back. Well, does Susie mind having a bucket on her desk? I mean, seriously, Susie's six years old. How much room on the desk does she need? Put the bucket there. Be fine. So as long as you're getting by, it doesn't matter. The one thing to keep in mind as far as how I read this latest cut, though, is Susie's desk with the bucket on it, with the drip from the ceiling, would not have been addressed by this $100 million. This was not like saying, okay, we've got $100 million, let's see, uh, roof there, we've got a tile missing from the gymnasium in this school, let's fix that. Uh, what else? This could really use some sprucing up over here, this chair with two legs. Yeah, we'll get a new chair. That's not what it was for. Because if you read this, it came from the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund for Schools. So you had $100 million coming from that. And this does go back to the cancellation of cap and trade. And there is going to be an expensive fallout from that. In the end, we should see five extra cents peel off the pumps. I still haven't seen any money come off the pumps. Have you? I mean, $1.34, $1.37, we're still bouncing around that range in London. So I haven't seen anything, but Dan McTaggart said, hey, it's not going to come all at once. We've got to wait a little while for the full 10 cents at the pumps, which will be one of the things that we get out of the cancellation of cap and trade. But when you look at this particular fund, it was helping to build new or helping to put in, sorry, new windows or new furnaces. They had to be energy efficient items. So it wasn't fixing drips in the ceiling. It wasn't fixing broken chairs. It was definitely not addressing the $15.9 billion repair backlog. It was fixing furnaces and putting in new windows to make buildings more efficient. So it was there to save money in the end. So it looks bigger 
than it actually is. Hey, while we're talking about money grabs and things, when we look at licensing, graded licensing, remember when that came in? The G1 and the G2 system, and all it is is a cash grab. I mean, the difference between your G1 and your G2, you, you can have your G1 for a while, but then if you don't go and get your G2, you have to go back to the beginning and you've got to go through everything again. You've got to pay money each and every time. But I was looking through the G test and things you have to be responsible for in the G test in order to get your full license these days. And three things struck me. Your G license test requires you to know how to parallel park. It requires you to know how to hill park, park on a hill. And it requires you to know how to park when you back up, reverse into a spot. So think of those three things for a second. Parallel parking, hill parking, and reverse parking into a parking spot. Now, count up the number of times if you drive that you have done those things in the last month. And I bet you don't hit five. I bet you certainly don't need to take off a shoe to count those. You can avoid each and every one of those things for your entire life. You don't have to parallel park. Go somewhere where you don't. Or, you know, look at what we do now. We pull into lots. We've got lots all over the place. Well, I'm going to park here. Parallel parking spots are, are always full. So if you see a spot, sure, if, if you want to take it, you feel like a master if you can actually pull off a parallel park. Or maybe you've got one of those fancy cars that parallel parks itself. We've got those, meaning you don't need to know how to do this. You could pull into a parking lot, which many people do, and be just as far away from wherever it is you're going. Now, might be a little bit more costly, but to run out and feed the meter the whole time, yeah, that's no fun. So you don't have to do that. Parking on a hill? Well, when I put it in park, it parks. Do I have to turn my wheels? You have to know how to turn your wheels. And I always get confused because I think the right way to do it if you're parked uphill is to actually turn your wheels toward traffic so that if your little pin in, in your parking brake failed, then your car would actually still hit the curb. I don't understand how that would happen. Isn't it more dangerous? What if you miss? What if you're a bad parker and you're not close enough to the sidewalk? Wouldn't you miss? And then reverse park into a parking spot? No. You look for the pull-through. No one is reverse parking into parking spots. And if there isn't a pull-through, you do the most dangerous thing in driving, and you back out. That's it. You don't have to learn how to do these things. Yet, in order to pull off your G, you better be able to do all three. We are going to talk with a man in just a moment who has enough water in his backyard to host a triathlon. That is coming up. Who would have the ability to host a triathlon on their property? Well, he lives in this area, and we are about to meet him. 519-643-2222. If you want to get through at any time, you can email Mike at... 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980, especially if you have any driving test stories. We should put those together one day, maybe even today. Anybody have any good driving test stories? Before we go, Andy may just have that. Uh, Andy says, hey, Mike, any of those things on the G test I haven't done since I took the test? Exactly. You know, it's another one of those things. Why do you do this? Because we've always done it.
Do you have to know how to do all of these things? I guess. I guess they're out there, I suppose. But you don't really know how to have to. You don't really have to know how to do all of them. You'll never do them again unless you really want to. They're kind of choices you make. Doug, is it wrong to think that we could pare down that G-test a little bit? Um, well, you know, it's kind of like this. You, you look at parallel parking or you look at all those skills, and, yeah, them by themselves, parallel parking, if you take it for what it is, is just one thing. But what that actually shows an instructor, now I'm an instructor for safety and, and all these other things, sometimes what I do is I can kind of, like, use one skill to demonstrate a lot. So take parallel parking. What does it teach you? Well, it shows your spatial awareness when in a vehicle, which I believe all of us, you know, could probably maybe do better of, but just being aware of, of how to manipulate a vehicle to get it into that spot, I think is it shows the instructor more than just whether or not you can parallel park. Do you understand how to manipulate your vehicle to get it in and out of spaces? And I just think there's more to it. Obviously, that's why would they have it? Doug, I'm glad you called because that makes way more sense than what I was thinking because I was looking at the actual performance of each of these tasks. If you don't yeah. want to do it, you don't have to do it. But, yeah, I guess that's that's a good way to judge just how good a driver somebody is. It, it might seem, uh, you know, a little unorthodox, I guess, and, and it's just one thing, but, you know, the, that one skill, and, and I've heard it for many years, like, oh, you know, that's the hardest part of passing your G-test. And it's like, I, I, I personally, I have no problems. Uh, parallel parking and, and you know these new vehicles I'm still very skeptical on how they make this voodoo magic work and I've heard they can back up with trailers but I grew up on a small farm and, and you learn how to, to operate vehicles and machinery and stuff and and you have to pay attention so I, I don't know there's I just I just wanted to chime in on that I just think that there's more to it than just parallel parking itself and the whole parking on a hill thing again you even said you struggled with why is it the way that it is well it's to inspire us to think well one decision, if I turn my wheels this way, it goes the opposite way. It's like when people back up trailers. You literally put your wheel, if you put your hand on the bottom of the wheel and you go left, that's the way your trailer will go. If you put it right, that's the way your trailer will go. It's just understanding how to drive. That's and I, I suppose if, if we look at hill parking, now that you've opened up this whole window, it shows that somebody's taken the time to learn or taken the time to read the right way to do things, and I guess that's, that's one of those things you want to test as well. For sure, consequence for action, right? So if you don't turn your wheel the right way, what will happen? Perfect. we got to get there. Thanks, Doug, thanks for the call. Have a great day. A couple more emails have come in. I like this one from James. James says, haven't you ever been behind somebody trying to parallel park who can't? Yeah, maybe that's a reason why parallel parking shouldn't exist. Although then you get into those situations. Have you ever been in one of those towns where you have angled parking? That's a nightmare. Somebody probably invented that years ago thinking, yeah, and we do have some angled parking, don't we? On Hamilton Road, don't we have angled parking before you get to Highbury if you're going east? I think we do. That's a nightmare to get out of. You should never angle park because then you have to pull backward out into the street and you can't possibly see somebody who is going at 60, 70 Ks an hour flying along if you've got a car right beside you. So angled parking, no. So maybe that leaves us with parallel parking. Al says, hold on, Mike. 
You may not have to parallel park or park on a hill or reverse park here in flat southwestern Ontario, but there are areas outside our region where you do unless you don't want to park at all. For as long as Ontarians would like to have their Ontario driver's license valid outside the province or accepted in the U.S. and overseas, I suggest they hit the streets and practice. And that opens up maybe the best conversation. And this one we will do another day. Whether or not we need interim tests, because I'm still a big proponent of that. We get tested when we get our full G license now, and then that's it until 80. I think every 10 years, 15, 20, we need a test. Just, just a refresher. Not that you would necessarily lose your license. You want to talk cash grab, that would be it. But at least we'd have to smarten up. At least it would get us a little bit of a refresher. And you wouldn't have to worry maybe so much about the guy trying to eat a bowl of soup and steer with his foot. Because ultimately, I think that's the biggest test of driving. Are you paying attention to what all the other nitwits are doing on the road? Because they're the dangerous ones, aren't they? This is Global News Radio. You're listening to London Live. Up next, a man who can hold a triathlon in his backyard. Well, at least the start of one. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Here's an example. Parking problems in 2018. G license test problems 2018. Tom says, my neighbor told me about her son who taught his son how to drive. The son failed the driver's test because he couldn't parallel park. The car he had learned how to drive with had automatic parallel parking. He then had to sign up for a driving course, do it all over again. Helps with the whole cash grab in this, but yeah, you're right. I mean, what about cars with backup cameras? I don't think you can use those in driver's tests. I don't even know how to turn it off. But if they're there in the vehicle, they make the vehicle more safe to drive. Let's talk about not driving. Let's talk about other ways to get around. How about running? How about cycling? How about swimming? Those three things make up a triathlon. And there is a triathlon at the Ontario Summer Games. And the Ontario Summer Games are getting closer and closer, August 2nd to the 5th. So we're now far less than a month away. 3,400 people are going to be here. There will be over 1,500 medals won. And the triathlon is going to be taking place at Mike Radcliffe's place. And Mike joins us right now to describe exactly how that's going to be carried out. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. Great. Ontario Summer Games are coming, and everybody watches things like this arrive, whatever event we're hosting, and everything is always in place by that point. But when you think about Ontario Summer Games, sure, you've got the Aquatic Center for a lot of the swimming events. However, if you're thinking triathlon, where exactly would we put the swimmers? And you've come up with a pretty neat solution. What is that? So they have approached me to come do the triathlon in my backyard. So <laughs> your <I> backyard. <laughs> All right. Now, most of us could say, yeah, you know what? I've got this turtle pool that I, the kids used to be in it. The swimmers could go one by one. No problem. They can use the slide. It's in good condition. That's not what you're referring to. No, no. It's a little bit bigger than that. <laughs> How big so is your backyard pool? So it is 40 acres is the lake. The lake is 40 acres. I'm trying to think of a lake around here other than Oh Erie that might even come close to that. What exactly do you have in your backyard? 
so it's an old gravel pit. So it uh, it was graveled out in the started in the 70s and uh, finished off around I think around 2000 something like that. So uh, we we purchased the property off of uh, Jenison Gravel. So and since then we've uh, just sort of manicured it and made it into our personal property. Isn't that fantastic? So you basically have an old gravel pit. So if anyone has ever been swimming in a quarry, is that similar to what we're talking about? Yep, very similar. It's spring-fed uh, gravel base, so water just comes up from the bottom. And uh, so good good quality water. You don't have to chlorinate it? We don't do anything. It's big enough that it actually it moves around enough. So um, it, uh, you know, it, it even has white caps in storms. That's amazing. Now, why did you buy this? Uh, so I just bought it for, you know, just personal personal use. I just saw that it was a very special, unique property, and I'm in real estate myself, so I, uh, I just had to jump on it. We are talking with Mike Radcliffe, who is going to provide, as he says, in his own backyard, the site for the swimming portion of the triathlon for the Ontario Summer Games, which come up very early next month. So in terms of them approaching you, how did that conversation go? So it started about, uh, well, three or four years ago, I was approached by a triathlon group in London who was just looking for a good place to train. And I have allowed them to do that. So they come out Mondays and Wednesday evenings, and they just do their swimming training in my lake. And uh, I'm totally fine with it. It's kind of fun to watch the lake being used. Um, so I think through that group, um, my name was thrown out to the Ontario Summer Games, and they approached me, and obviously I'm okay with it. If we're trying to picture this, how is the start area going to work? Do they just kind of jump off the side and go? Yeah, so they will all start in a line. I think uh, I have a kind of a boat launch area, and uh, that's where they're going to all go in. And then they'll put uh, boys out in the water that they'll just swim out and around and then come back out. And then the transition port uh, will be in the one spot where they'll get on their bikes and get onto the road. Are you a distance swimmer at all, or is this just a great big swimming pool? It is just a big swimming pool. <laughs> Do you I, ever? I am not a distance swimmer, no. Do you jump off the sides, anything like that? Yeah, no, we definitely uh, do swim in the hot weather and enjoy it. So we, we actually wakeboard in it with our kids. That's amazing. And this is something that has just existed in the midst of southwestern Ontario forever. It is on a back road where nobody drives by. <laughs> <laughs> would it be something that you mentioned you're in real estate, you would ever look to sell, or is this something you've kind of fallen in love with? It's something we've fallen in love with. Obviously, everything's for sale eventually, but uh, right now we're we're enjoying it. And it is the home of the triathlon for the Ontario Summer Games in 2018. And now that they're coming back in 2020, could it be the home in 2020 as well? If it works out and then they approach me, I would probably say go for it. Now, would you be interested in having other races at any point, or is this just kind of a one-time, once-in-a-while thing? Yeah, I would I would entertain anything. I don't want it to be overused. I also have to think about insurance and liability and all that kind of stuff. So I just have to make sure, uh, you know, whoever is in it has, you know, the, the proper liability and insurance. What have you had to do in terms of having all of the participants for the Ontario Summer Games as far as insurance goes? Have you had to do anything? Uh, no, I just deal with the, actually, the head guy with the Ontario Summer Games. So they've given me the insurance policy. So... 
I'm, I know I'm protected. So Not a bad trade. Well, Mike, yeah. thank you for your generosity, first of all, for making use of your property for the Ontario Summer Games. Can't wait to see how it works out. Uh, you're very welcome. Good talking to you. Good talking to you. Mike Radcliffe. We'll, uh, we'll have to check in after the event. By the way, all the events are free for the Ontario Summer Games. August 2nd to 5th, they come up in London. We will let you know what's coming up in Hour 2 of London Live next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Kevin tweeted that he parallel parks at least three times a month on his street and going downtown for festivals. If you do need to know how to parallel park, I don't know whether Kevin is willing to come to your house and do it. But he sounds very good at it. Next hour, Joe Preston, who is running for mayor of St. Thomas, announced that this morning. Makes an interesting dynamic when we look at yesterday's announcement by Ed Holder. He will join us. We'll find out what is up with that six-year-old McDonald's cheeseburger that eBay is apparently not selling anymore. And we'll talk extreme weather and more. All on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We've already been to Mike Radcliffe's backyard where he has a quarry where they will have the swimming portion of the triathlon at the Ontario Summer Games. We'll head into Dave Alexander's backyard or maybe office, perhaps living room, a little later on this half hour. Dave's going to give us an update on something that he owns that a lot of people wanted all of a sudden. What he owns is a cheeseburger and fries from McDonald's. And he put them up on eBay because they were six years old, did that last week. And there have been some, let's call them, developments in the story. So that is coming up. We are also going to talk with Professor Adam Sobel from Columbia University. We hear stories about weather becoming more and more extreme. Well, Professor Sobel has said it may be time, and this is one of those title things more than anything, but it it does go to show that things are getting a little bit worse. It may be time for... Category 6 hurricanes, because we might just have that. So that's coming up after news with Jacqueline LaBelle. But earlier this morning, we had yet another major political announcement. This is the second day in a row that this has taken place. Yesterday, we heard that Ed Holder has plans to officially announce that he will be running for mayor of London on Thursday. And so that is still to come on Thursday. The announcement expected at 1130. There is someone who has a big political background and is certainly someone who has a lot of political experience. Well, earlier today, as you've been hearing on 980 CFPL, Joe Preston, someone else who has all kinds of great political experience, has announced that he is running for mayor of St. Thomas. And Joe Preston joins us right now. Mr. Preston, how are things? That's great. It's been a, been a fun, busy day. Now, when you go to make an announcement like this, does your life instantly change and go into overdrive? Because I can only imagine all the people like me who are calling you. I can only imagine all of the other people who are calling saying, what can I do? What's it like? Yeah, it is exactly that. You you set aside the day knowing it's going to be that busy, and uh, you just prepare yourself for it and know it's the first step along the way. But if you can make it exciting, it'll be a uh, a better route towards mayor. Joe, no one would have questioned one second from you if you had said, you know what, 
I think I'm going to retire. I think I'm going to get out of politics. I think I'm just going to do some other things. In fact, you have been doing those things. You've appeared on roundtables. You have been manufacturing granola. The political side of you, where was the tug to bring you back in? Well, Mike, you know I'm a community activist. I'm still still involved in a lot of community projects and a lot of uh, not-for-profits and the United Way and, and, and the like. And this just seems a natural extension of that. I'm uh, feeling better than I felt when I left federal politics, and uh, I've got the urge, and I believe I have the ability to help uh, my, my hometown, St. Thomas, Ontario. Federal politics and municipal politics certainly have their similarities. They also have major differences. The party system doesn't necessarily exist. What do you see as being maybe the transition to getting yourself into campaigning, not for a seat, but for a, a mayorship? Well, first of all, you're right. We're not wearing team uniforms in this one. It is, it is you're there by yourself, and you better have... Um, good ideas and good plans and the ability to bring people together to get things done. So I see that being the uh, the major difference. This is where the rubber hits the road in politics, is at the municipal level. You know, if the, if the road's not plowed and the garbage isn't picked up, it's a municipal issue, and it just starts there. Um, I'm looking forward to being able to, uh, to help uh, my community be a way better place. Joe Preston joining us. Joe announced earlier today he is running for mayor of St. Thomas in the upcoming municipal election there. And that creates some interesting potential synergies. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But, Joe, when when you looked around your community, you mentioned you are a community activist. Were there things that you saw that you kept saying, I need to change that? Somebody needs to change that. Maybe it could be me. Was that happening? No, I don't think there's anything that that I thought of as any one great big thing that needed to get better. I think it's a collective that the, uh, our municipality of 40,000 people can be better. It needs more housing. It needs more jobs. It needs more recreational facilities. There's a lot of more that it needs, but I think that together those 40,000 people and the council and the, and the mayor can make it a completely better community. And I saw the opportunity, and I said, yeah, let's do that. Let's see if we can bring more to our community by working together. We have just come through a provincial election in which we have seen the PCs elected. You have a conservative background. Yesterday, we also heard that Ed Holder is planning to announce officially his campaign for mayor on Thursday. He has a conservative background. What do you see perhaps brewing should things fall in a certain way? Well, look, it is um, open. The, uh, we have a new government in Ontario that is going to do things a different way. Um, the fact that I know some of the key players and, and add a, a fellow who just loves his community too knows some of the key players, that will certainly help. It's not, it's not the whole answer, but I, th- I, I see it being there. With our work at the federal level, my work at the federal level, I see having those connections still. But it's also about communicating locally. It is about, in St. Thomas, about the neighboring communities, the county of Elgin, and even that uh, great big city to the north of us, uh, that bedroom community for St. Thomas, um, London, Ontario. We've, we've got to spend more time working together in the region to make the whole region better, better. It's not about one of us doing better than the other. It's that collectively we both can make the region better. 
So I think that uh, we should be looking for all the connections we have. And you're right. I come prepared with some of them already because of my other political background. Um, but it's, it, it's still heavy lifting and we've got to do it together. Joel, there are times when someone who is the mayor of a municipality has to go to those next levels of government. It happens a whole lot. You are somebody who has kind of been doing the the reverse, where you're able to hear from those municipalities and then try and implement things at the federal level. How much is that, in your mind, helpful to what you could be doing should you be successful? Well, first of all, I'm proud of what we were able to accomplish for my hometown and, and areas around it as a federal member of parliament. The, you're right, the tables are now turned, and it will have to be the other way. But you're right, I've got a name that someone will recognize if I knock on their door. That just helps get us in. we still got to be able to make our case um, as municipal politicians and collectively that it's the right thing to do for the municipality, the region, and the province, and, and the country. But at least um, uh, the phone call will be answered or the door will be opened when we call. Finally, if we look at at the next few months, you've been through campaigns before. What are you most looking forward to? And and what's the hardest part about running a campaign as well? Well, the the, the fantastic part uh, I I shared with others this morning, I I will continue to be Joe. I Tomorrow morning, I'll be at the seniors' picnic in St. Thomas because I would have been there anyway. I'll be at the beef barbecue later in August. I mean, those type of events are my favorite type of campaigning. And at the municipal level, you get a huge opportunity. Uh, look, the, the downside always has been that 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 you know when you're running, someone will want to point out what you're not good at. Uh, each of us have um, um, you know feelings, and 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 that's always a bit negative. I've always said. If I have to say something bad about somebody to get the job, I don't want it. And so this will really fit well at the municipal level campaigning. Joe, thanks for the time. I know we'll talk again. Yes, thanks, Mike. Take care. Thanks. That is Joe Preston, who has announced his candidacy for mayor of St. Thomas a day after the story broke that Ed Holder will be running for mayor of London. We'll talk more about that. You know what I like about this? Because here's one of the main issues in politics. Here's what we struggle with. If you go back far enough in time, you had some real leaders emerge and they might have been the doctor in town. They might have been the fire chief in town. They might have been a prominent farmer in the area and they would wind up in the big time political positions. And then... Things changed. I mean, look right now at the race for councillor in London. I retweeted something from Cheryl Ruth earlier today. And if you go through my Twitter feed, you'll find it at Stubbs980. And it's a conversation that eventually turned into people running for spots on council. And the idea of, hey, I don't know if I have the time to do it. I don't know if I have the energy and spirit to do it. It's not an easy thing to do. It's a pretty thankless spot. And sometimes political positions are seen that way. And the more they're seen that way, the more cracks open up and we lose quality individuals where you don't have them running because they're busy doing this or they're doing that or whatever it happens to be. If you want some place, doesn't matter where it is, to be successful, I don't care what level it's at, you need quality people. And the more quality people you have running for a position, 
then the better you're going to be, the better the final product is going to be, provided the voting public pays attention. And I think that's what we have emerging now. In two days in this area, we have dropped two quality individuals. We've dropped people in to municipal races who have had political success, who understand how things work at other levels of government. That's good. That's very good. And they bring experience. You know, when you bring somebody in and I'm going to knock the guy below the border, POTUS, if you bring him in, he's learning on the job. He will say things that you think, wait a minute, that's, no, come on. Space Force, that's my favorite lately. Space Force, give me a break. But that's what you have. You have somebody who has to learn on the job. In these cases, you're adding people in who will have the experience that minimizes the learning on the job. There's always learning to be done. But you bring in a base, that's a good thing. The more quality candidates you have, the better off you are. And that's what we've had in less than 24 hours in this area. Next up, we're going to talk about a cheeseburger that's six years old and counting. Uh, We'll bring you the update. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Belgium and France underway in their semifinal. If you don't want to hear the score, fingers in your ears. La, la, la. Here it comes. Nil, nil, 22nd minute. And just got a note, and this sounds good because we were talking about this earlier. Where are we going to find a spot to watch this. Uh, Margaret, thanks. She says, just heard there's a Belgium club in Delhi, just down Highway 3, up until a year ago. Oh, they didn't hang on. They've closed the Belgian club in Delhi. So we almost had a place to go to check out the game, but they shut the doors. If only they would have known Belgium was going to make the semifinal. Let's take a look at a story that broke last week. You can find it on Global News. I actually just tweeted the link at Stubbs980. It's a story about a guy who wanted to do an experiment on a cheeseburger and fries from McDonald's. He had heard that they aged very well. And so he decided to hang on to them. Dave Alexander had his daughter buy him a cheeseburger and fries with no toppings, just cheese just the bun and just the patty from McDonald's in London and then bring them home. And he kept them untouched by human hands for six years until last week he happened to put the burger and fries on eBay. And that created a little bit of a stir. And we're now going to get an update on how things have gone because it appears you can't buy the burger and fries or bid on the burger and fries on eBay anymore. Dave Alexander joins us on London Live. Dave, just what has this past week been like? Oh, it's it's been exhausting to <laughs> say the least. It's uh, we've been contacted by people all over the world. So when you answered the phone at one point, what would you say was the strangest, oh, wow, I can't believe they're calling from there moment? Um, There was a radio station from New Zealand um, had called. Um, We found out that uh, Al Jazeera was interested. Um, So, yeah, there's there's been some some really odd ones. Um, We've been a bit reluctant to do any any television things, because I'm a bit shy that way. But 
it's yeah, it's it's been pretty over the top, really. Well, we, I'm I'm overwhelmed for sure. We appreciate you doing radio interviews. So let's kind of get an update because as the story became more and more worldwide, the bids kept going up and up. I think they were at about $51 when we spoke last week. They got all the way to 150 but then what happened? Well, it, it got to 150 in just a mere 18 hours. And then uh, eBay, it, it, eBay had caught wind of the situation and promptly took the ad down. So um, <clears throat> when we noticed the ad was down, we contacted about it, um, pretty upset about it because uh, you know the it was only up for 18 hours. So so they had said uh, the reason that they took it down was because uh, it wasn't listed with an expiry date. So I, 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 I'm still speechless about that. <laughs> How do you put an expiry date on a six-year-old cheeseburger? Yeah, I think it's beyond its expiry date. So yeah, that leaves you without a place to sell it. Do you still have the burger? <clears throat> yes, we still have the burger. We're a bit perplexed as to what to do with it now. Um, we have had some offers, some extraordinarily strange offers, but not <clears throat> nothing uh, that's really actually feasible. So I may end up holding on to this thing. I just I really don't know at this point. We're 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 confused as to what as to how to proceed for sure. Dave Alexander with us. We're updating the story of the six year old McDonald's cheeseburger, which Dave was using as an experiment to see what would happen after years and years of this cheeseburger being around, it's in pretty good shape. It's not something that you're going to have for dinner later on today, but it's in pretty good shape. It was on eBay. eBay has said, no, didn't have an expiry date. That goes against their rules. So they took the ad down so it can't be sold on eBay. Has McDonald's contacted you at all? No, and we're quite surprised about that. I thought for sure that they would. They are. I'm, they have to be aware of it. People have been tweeting them directly with the with the various articles, so I'm positive that they're aware of the situation, but they have not contacted us yet. When we spoke Thanks. last week, Dave, you mentioned that someone had offered you a two-year-old Timbit in a trade. You say you've had some very strange offers. Anything you can share with us in terms of what people are asking you to do? Yeah, um, somebody in the media, and we're not exactly sure who, um, was able to track down the person, the last bidder before the ad went down on eBay that had bid $150 for it. And they found who this fellow was. He's a, he's a young man from Los Angeles, California. And he still wants the cheeseburger, but he apparently is a professional or competitive eater. And he's offering to eat this thing on YouTube and so we're going to have to decline for liability reasons if anything happens to this guy. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be involved. But that's the strangest offer we've had—that he's willing to actually eat this thing. Is anybody still making monetary offers away from eBay? We've had a couple. They've been super, like, so low that I don't think it would cover the shipping fees. <laughs> But uh, nothing, nothing serious. No. And no. would you ever look at a Craigslist or a Kijiji or any other means of selling it online? I I think we may. I'm just not extremely familiar with those services. So yeah, I probably will do something. 
like I say, I certainly don't want to sell my farm and move away and have to take this thing with me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so we're we're going to have to figure out a plan at some point fairly shortly. In the meantime, it sits on its shelf. It is now, well, the shelf has been sold, so it's now sitting in my living room staring at us. <laughs> Just on a coffee table? Yeah, yeah, it's right in front of the TV, actually, <laughs> so you can't avoid it. This is still an incredible story. Dave, thank you so much. Uh, We may have to check back again on this one. Yeah, please do. I certainly thank you for your interest. All right. Have a great afternoon. You take care. Dave Alexander and his six-year-old McDonald's cheeseburger and fries now in the living room. It's a showpiece. You know, you don't need a coffee table book. Oh, what do you have there? That's my six-year-old McDonald's cheeseburger and fries whose story went around the world. We will keep tabs on that. We are going to talk severe weather. None on the way, but you've heard of Category 5 hurricanes. Fortunately, they don't tend to reach us at their greatest strength. We kind of get a windy aftermath. Category 6? Yeah, we'll talk with a professor who believes... That may be necessary given what he expects to come in the near future. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Lots of advice for Dave Alexander. Lots of common advice. If you missed it, we were getting an update on the six-year-old McDonald's cheeseburger and fries, which eBay will not sell because it doesn't have an expiry date. The advice can be summed up with these words. Throw it out. No, the thing has value. 150 bucks is what it got up to in eBay bidding. I'm going to barbecue a burger tonight, put it in a drawer. I have two kids in university in three years. That thing's going to come in handy. Three years from now, who wants to buy a three-year-old cheeseburger? Made on a grill. Propane. I'll put whatever you want on it. Put in your orders. We have all kinds of reports of severe weather In this part of the world, we get a lot of thunderstorms, but if we look at hurricanes, we're pretty lucky. We get the aftermath of hurricanes. And if you watch on any kind of weather map, you'll still see the swirl and the swirling wind reaches us. But typically, if those hurricanes land on the east side of Florida, on the Gulf Coast, if they land in New Orleans, they do horrific devastation. But we're spared. We get some rain, we get some wind, and then it's all done. When we look at severe weather and we look at some of the storms that have hit land and have done that severe damage, and you look at the future and what is expected, uh, it merits a whole lot of conversation as to what to be prepared for. Professor Adam Sobel is with Columbia University, and we're lucky enough to have him with us right now. Professor Sobel, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. We hear a lot of reports, and they use the words severe weather, and that we're going to see more severe weather going forward. When you see reports like that, what comes to mind for you? Do you believe them? Well, I'm a student of those uh, reports and sometimes contribute to producing them. The severe weather, it depends what kind of severe weather we're talking about. So hurricanes is not the same as heat waves or, or tornadoes or any other kind of severe weather. Uh, some of them we understand quite clearly how they're related to climate change. I mean, as the planet gets warmer, of course, we have more heat waves. That's pretty simple for all the reasons you would think. And then hurricanes are a little more complicated and tornadoes we don't really understand too well. So, 
So it depends which one um, we're talking about. Well, why don't we talk about hurricanes? And we tend to, in this part of the world, follow the naming of the hurricanes. But again, we're not affected by them. They become news stories at times. When you look at at what you see for the future of hurricanes, what are you seeing? Right. So um, the the science of how hurricanes are related to climate has advanced a lot in a in a, the last decade or two, and and there's some things we're pretty sure we know, and there's other things we don't know. So the one of the things we're pretty sure we know is that uh, in a warmer world, hurricanes should produce more rain. Pretty much every scientist I know of uh, agrees on that. The, we also have good, a lot of good lines of evidence to suggest that hurricanes should get more powerful in a warming climate, meaning the winds on average should be stronger. And so at the high end, we'll see some that are stronger than we've seen in the past. It's probable that that's already occurring, that hurricanes are already getting stronger. Um, but the, there's a difficulty in proving it to everyone's satisfaction because there's so much natural variability. That There's, so much, there's not that many hurricanes in any given year. Um, and uh, the number and the strength fluctuate a lot randomly. So trying to see the changes um, over time is a little bit like trying to hear someone talking quietly in a loud room. It's, you know, you may not be able to make it out, but it doesn't mean it's not happening. So I think, you know, our best guess is that hurricanes are already getting a little stronger, but certainly going into the future, a few more decades, we expect them to get stronger with a greater deal of certainty. What we don't know, I would say, is whether there are going to be more hurricanes or fewer the science on that has fluctuated around, and I would say it's still uncertain um, whether the number is going to increase or decrease. Professor Adam Solo with us from Columbia University. As we look at extreme weather, specifically hurricanes, how do hurricanes even develop? Hurricanes like to form over the warmest oceans in the tropics, except that they can't form on the equator because they need a little bit of what's called the Coriolis force, which has to do with the rotation of the Earth, and that doesn't work uh, right on the equator. So they form over the warmest oceans anywhere in the planet, um, except on the equator, and there's some other conditions they need. They don't like dry air. Um, They don't like what's called vertical wind shear, which is when the wind blows from different directions or speeds at different altitudes. So there's a certain conditions they like, and and part of how we understand... um, how hurricanes are changing is by looking at how those conditions are changing, but they're, um, but but that kind of empirical knowledge doesn't get us that far. So we use computer models and theory and and um, and the rest of it. But they like the warmest water. So we used to think, for example, that because hurricanes form over the warmest water on the planet, that as the whole planet gets warmer, we should have hurricanes popping up in a wider range of places. Um, for example, hurricanes usually form over water that's about. Uh, 27 Celsius or higher. So if so, if the area that reaches 27 Celsius gets higher, then the region of hurricanes we used to think would expand. We now know that it's not that simple. The hurricanes just like whatever is the warmest place on the planet, um, and so as the planet warms, the, the range over which hurricanes forms may expand a little, but probably not that much. Although there is some evidence, I should say, that the the latitude at which the hurricanes reach their peak intensity is moving poleward. So there's a suggestion, poleward meaning in the northern hemisphere, further north. So there is some suggestion that higher latitudes may be more suggest, uh, exposed to stronger storms than they've been they've been in the past. But there's a lot of uh, a lot of complicating factors that could mitigate that. Professor Sobel, we have category one, two, three, four. The scariest right now is five. How do Category 5s or the bigger hurricanes develop? Do we know what goes into that? 
they need everything to be right. They need uh, warm sea surface temperature as well as warm water below the surface of the ocean because a hurricane, as it, as it spins, it churns up the ocean below it. And if it can bring up cold water, then it can suppress itself. So you need the water below the surface to be warm. You need not too much vertical wind shear. Um, that means wind blowing at different, differently at different heights that can tilt the storm over and, and tear it apart. And you need not too much dry air. So, so for example, there's now uh, Hurricane Maria, or we would, should say Typhoon Maria, in the Western Pacific, threatening some of the southern islands of Taiwan, uh, of Japan rather, and northern Taiwan, including the city of Taipei. And that, uh, not to be confused with the Maria that hit Puerto Rico last year. This is um, in the Pacific. And that hurricane was at Category 5 yesterday. It's somewhat weakened now, but that had all the right conditions. Very warm water um, at the surface and well below and low vertical wind shear and all that. And as a consequence, you saw that perfect, perfect circular shape with a clear eye and all that that's indicative of a, of a very powerful storm. Could we see a time where Category 5 is just not enough to sum up the size of hurricane? So, so first of all, Category uh, 5 doesn't indicate anything about the size. So the size of a storm, meaning how, how much area it occupies, is not anything that we apply a specific scale to. The categories refer to the maximum sustained winds. So the strongest winds anywhere in the storm is what um, determines whether it's Category 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And we can debate whether that's the right scale because often the damage comes from uh, rain or a storm surge, flooding, or other things that are not captured by the scale. But accepting that the scale measures only wind, the question is, do we need a Category 6 or will we in the future? And I think in some ways it's, it's not. The important question is, uh, are the storms getting stronger and how quickly? I think the evidence suggests they are getting stronger, but, but that evidence is, is not as clear yet as it probably will be in the future. If they do get stronger, then the question is, can we accommodate that strengthening with the system we have, or do we need Category 6? Essentially, the categories are just a naming convention. I mean, it doesn't, whether you call it Category 6 or you call it Category 5, you know, if the thing has 200-mile-an-hour winds, it's still, it's still uh, very destructive. I don't think we're going to see any change in the naming system soon because um, the changes in intensities aren't that big yet, and Category 5 can handle it. But it's possible that at some time in the future, if we keep having strong storms stronger than any in the past, that we'll decide that we do need a Category 6. But so, so that could happen, but I don't think we're there now. Well, the important thing is just to keep an eye on those strengthening winds and what they could do. Professor Sobel, thank you so much for the work you do. Thanks for the time today. Thank you. Take care. Okay, bye. That is Professor Adam Sobel from Columbia University. So, yeah, everything is intensifying thanks to increasing temperatures, and they're keeping their eye on hurricanes. And, I mean, the one thing that we have to keep in mind is whether or not those hurricanes could strike further up the coast. As he says, they'll form in the warmest part if all of a sudden the shift comes or a shift comes in where the warmest part of the ocean has moved up just a little bit in the Atlantic, well, then maybe we do have more that strike a little higher up latitude-wise toward the northeastern part of the U.S. And then, you know, are, are we more affected? It's the people who are affected by that first landfall who you've got to worry about initially. We will take a break on London Live. Back with more in just a moment. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. There is a great story that has just popped up at globalnews.ca. You got to check this out. This is my favorite story of the day. And it's going to sound bad to say that it is. 
What have we had so many companies and corporations who are involved in food or drink doing recently? What have we had? What do we have England saying? Justin Trudeau weighed in on this. Drinking straws, right? I mean, we have had people sitting in this studio telling us wild statistics about drinking straws. And those statistics, in case you haven't heard them, in the United States daily, enough drinking straws are used to go around the world two and a half times. That's in a day. So every day that happens. And drinking straws are made of pretty brittle plastic, break down, leach into water, all those things. So we had a while ago that England is going to ban straws by this date. And then Justin Trudeau says, yeah, we're going to ban this stuff by this date. And then you started having different companies pop up. I think Starbucks was the most recent one. Yeah, we're going to ban drinking straws. Well, this is the story that I love. Here's the headline at globalnews.ca. You can go and check it out. Story's written by Mahama Betty. And it says, plastic straw bans help the environment, in parentheses, a little, but could hurt those with disabilities. Because this is starting to become trendy. And one of the worst things you can have is some little trendy thing. What happens with trends? They end. Bell bottoms were a trend. Bell bottoms should never be a thing. And then all of a sudden somebody brought them back and they were trendy for a while and now they're gone. And now tight pants are back in. So you have tight around the ankles. That's a trend. That'll stop for a little while. I'm sure bell bottoms will be back at some point. There is kind of the happy medium that seems to stick around all the time. So in this whole let's ban straws, that's fantastic. That's great. Because we've got a lot of plastic in this world that isn't Lego and isn't pens and isn't products that you could call fairly useful. I still don't get how many plastic bags we have. You know, they're just handed out left and right. And I don't, I don't get that. Plastic bags seem to be a, a big old problem. But what they have done in this particular piece and what Mohammed Betty has done is basically looked into the whole plastic straw thing. And here's the best line from it. Chelsea Rockman is an assistant professor at the University of Toronto, looks at pollutants in fresh water, and she says straws are kind of low-hanging fruit. They're an easy win. That's fantastic. But she says, I just hope everyone realizes that's one step of many. There's no silver bullet solution to plastic pollution. And there's a great video that you can watch that gives an example of one of the masses of plastic that is found in a body of water. And we've got all kinds of, we've got something in Lake Erie, nobody even knows what it is. Now, it's more of an algae bloom, but we've got those things in bodies of water where they're not necessarily algae blooms. And who knows what the algae is hanging on to in Lake Erie. Maybe we've got plastic pollution there. Probably. I don't know. But you've certainly got it in some bodies of water. It does hurt marine life. It does all kinds of nasty things. And yet, plastic is so cheap, and so many things are manufactured out of it. We're in this, hey, that's nice, we've got to cut down, but how exactly do we do it? But I wanted to draw your attention to that, because the U.N. now has a campaign, and their idea is to eliminate what they call the major sources of marine litter. So 
Straws would be one of those. Single-use plastic products. Plastic bag, plastic straws, you can list a whole number of things. Plastic-coated drinking cups, all that kind of stuff by 2022. But there's some really neat videos to watch. So again, go to globalnews.ca and you can find it or just search global news and plastic straw bans help the environment. But, and it will pop up for you. We are going to take one final break on London Live. They're at the half. Belgium and France. If you don't want to know the score, here it comes. Nil-nil, quite a few chances, but the first semifinal, nil-nil so far. The winner will take on Croatia or England. And while there's really nowhere to get together and watch the match today, well, there's a whole lot of spots you can go to for tomorrow for Croatia and England if you want to watch soccer with a whole lot of people. You've got English soccer fans who may not sleep tonight. This is big. This could be a birth in a place they never thought they'd get to. It was said earlier in our newsroom today, England is the Vegas Golden Knights of the turn. You just didn't expect it. They're just this young squad. They have a couple of veterans, but overall young squad who look around and say, hey, we're, uh, we're pretty good. This is going all right. And they just continue on. Tomorrow they face Croatia. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Here's something interesting that's coming from Alan Dershowitz. He's a Harvard professor, and he's just written a new book. And he talks about whether or not Donald Trump, old POTUS, should be able to nominate someone for the Supreme Court. And here's where things get a little touchy. The investigation continues into whether or not there was evidence of collusion with the Russian government. And I mean, you can be as familiar with that as you want to. Here's the interesting part of it. Dershowitz says, watch out, because if you allow Donald Trump to put in place someone who would be on his side and would continue to, let's say, look at things from a certain angle by way of a Supreme Court decision, If Donald Trump was ever impeached, the Supreme Court could technically overturn that decision. Interesting. He's got a new book out. Tomorrow on the show, we will talk about plastics from a different angle if we get the opportunity. We'll do this either tomorrow or Thursday. We'll talk about what ones can go into your recycling bin and what ones can't. Ever try and recycle something only to have it tossed back onto the lawn? That's not somebody being difficult. That's not somebody being mean. That's somebody saying, yeah, this one, not a recyclable plastic. So we'll deal with that. We are also going to meet a man who is going to be driving probably 170 miles an hour through Toronto at some point this weekend. And he is a guy who we can call a Londoner. That's coming up tomorrow on the show as well. And England versus Croatia in the second World Cup semifinal. Jacqueline LaBelle is going to have news starting at 3 o'clock. We'll keep tabs on the World Cup semifinal match. Thanks to Andrew Graham. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL.